Why have so many of the new coaching jobs gone to former players? We're going to look at this trend right now on the Wednesday Locked On NBA podcast. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Wednesday on the Locked On Podcast Network. That means it's me, John Corrales, along with Jake Madison, who is the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast at Nola Jake on Twitter. I'm John, I'm Reds Army underscore John on uh, Twitter, host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. So Jake had a great idea. We are, are going to have a big discussion here <laughs> on the uh, – <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube – which we are now free on all platforms and on YouTube. You can see Jake Jake Madison doing a little fist pump for this idea. So so Jared Dudley is 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 looking to become an assistant coach. Uh, he's going to go to the Dallas Mavericks. It appears. So Jake, this is your idea. Why don't you explain it? Yeah, this was something I've seen now, having covered two coaching searches in subsequent seasons with the New Orleans Pelicans, but a trend you kind of see around the league. You're seeing a lot of these head coaching jobs and assistant coaching jobs go to former players, kind of a little bit different than what we've seen before. They're not kind of career basketball guys making the jump to a head coach after putting in the time, grinding out in multiple cities. You're seeing these guys go from player to coach to head coach pretty quickly. And I thought it was a trend that's worth talking about when you see Jared Dudley go from being a player to immediately getting into coaching, essentially retiring and becoming a coach on the same day on a fairly high profile team, right? The Dallas Mavericks with Luka Doncic, who just hired another head coach in, in Jason Kidd. I thought this was something worth looking at. And like, we can go through the list of names, John, because there's a lot of them. The Pelicans just hired Willie Green, who's a former player. Um, We've seen it, you know, at at kind of all levels. Steve Nash last year going to the Brooklyn Nets. He didn't have any head coaching experience before something like that. Jason Terry just made the jump to being a G League head coach after kind of being a player somewhat recently too. And then you look at the conference finals, and this is what really jumped out at me this past year. Three of the four teams have a former player as a head coach. You have Monty Williams, who was a role player in the NBA, coached the Phoenix Suns. You have Ty Lue as the head coach of the Clippers, who's a former player, also a former head coach too. And then you have Nate McMillan, who's also a former player. And people maybe forget that being in charge of the Atlanta Hawks. So I think this is a trend that's here to stay in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, let's look at all of these hires this season. There are a few coaching changes. Like you said, Hawks with Nate McMillan. Officially, now he's a former player. Ime Odoka took over for the Boston Celtics. He's a former player. Jason Kidd, obviously, in Dallas. Uh, you, he took over for Rick Carlisle. Hey, look, Rick Carlisle's a former player, too. He won a championship in Boston. Yep. Willie Green, like you said, in New Orleans. Jamal Mosley in Orlando. Chauncey Billups in Portland. In fact, the only guy... I forgot about that one. ...who is not a former NBA player is Wes Unsell Jr., who happens to be the son of a former NBA player, Wes Unsell, in the Washington Wizards. And, and he was a college player and he, he never, really he grinded got- in Europe, right? Like he grinded it out in Europe, I think too, right. as a, as a player. So you you kind of see all of that there still too. Right. So you, you even have, if you want to say that Wes Unsell is the only guy who's not, he's very NBA player adjacent. And so you talk about a guy who can, the, and we were talking a little bit about this when we were conceiving of the podcast and you said relatability. 
this is now I'm looking at the Boston Celtics and Ime Odoka and, and the, the whole process of hiring him and why he rose to the top. And I think th- there are different conversations for different, different guys who got hired. And one thing we have to be very careful about is not to just lump everyone into, Hey, you're a former player. You got hired because the Chauncey Billups hire is much different from the Ime Odoka hire. And not just because they had different basketball careers, but Udoka went from uh, San Antonio learning under Greg Popovich on the bench there, went to Philly, went to Brooklyn, amassed a resume where you you didn't even have to look at his playing days. You look at that resume and you say, this is a guy who should become a head coach. And there are guys like that in the league. But then there are other guys who Jason Kidd just jumped right in and they here you go be a head coach and it goes to varying levels of success, but it's very clear that the league is, is trending towards not going with assistant coaches necessarily who have kind of paid their dues. And now you're going to get your shot as, as the head coach, they're going with the guys with the playing experience. And, and like you said, when we were talking relatability to these players, I think is, is a really big part of this. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when you think of a head coach, right, you think of X's and O's, game plan, and kind of that side of things. And the NBA maybe at one point was that, but I think it started to kind of get away from that a little bit, particularly because you kind of end up with starsly, you know, triplets here, a big three in the league, but it's kind of focusing in general more on two guys, I think. And you're kind of letting them do their things to a certain degree, right? Like, are you really going to coach Kevin Durant that much? Are you going to let him go and be Kevin Durant? Same for James Harden, same for Kyrie Irving. So it's more about relating to players and getting their buy-in for the little things that you're trying to do and keeping them motivated every single night. And that's more about relatability than, say, carrot on a stick or some of those other things. And like now where if I were to see a team that's hiring someone that one of those like uh, basketball lifers that's been you know older white guy who's been an assistant coach for an exceptionally long time you're like that that dude's owed a job right as you kind of said paid his dude I wouldn't trust that hire much anymore because you're starting to see teams with the most success have a head coach that just relates to their players well and just gets the most out of them and X's and O's be damned you can kind of figure that out or bring an assistant coach to kind of manage that if your head coach doesn't get it the best and it'll work itself out. But if you're getting the buy-in from the players and they're playing hard for you every single night, that might be the key to winning a lot of games as a head coach in the NBA. Yeah, and I think this really sets us up for the the person who's listening to this podcast. And I, I think there's one really key element that this shows that that needs to be understood when you're watching the NBA versus when you're watching college or any other level. This is different. It's a different game. It's a business this relatability to players may sound foreign. It, it certainly like when I was, when I was coming up, it was very much the coaches in charge. You, what, what relatability, relatability do you need? You do what I say, or you sit, that's the relatability. Can you relate to do what I tell you or sit down? And that was it. Like you said, the carrot on the stick, it's minutes played. And once upon a time, if guys didn't want to really play along, you say, all right, well, we're going to cut your minutes. And those guys were making a lot less money, right? Like the, the, the NBA that hell, the NBA that I grew up on the eighties NBA, 
And even getting into the 90s NBA, like it, it took a while. Once Kevin Garnett made that huge contract, Kevin Garnett was that big first, like, oh my God, contract. That once that money starts to get to that level, things are, you know, you can see this, the, the things start to shift. But people who watch the NBA and who listen to our podcast want to say, look, man, the coach is in charge. It's very simple. You listen to the coach, but that is not how this works. So before we get into the next segment of getting deeper into the why, can we just agree on this baseline that if we're going to have this conversation about coaching for the fans, you got to understand it doesn't work like that. This is much more a coworker type of situation that the players handle this side and the coach handles this side. And yeah, the coach tells which guys to go in and when, but for the, for the players to actually listen to the coach, it's much more like I, I compare it to like a middle manager type of thing. Like, okay, here's the yeah, person. Who th- th- that's an exact, you. you nailed it. That that's exactly, that's exactly it. That's something we can get into in the next segment, but that I think that is exactly, exactly it. Their middle management. That's, that's the best way you could describe it, right? Is the tone being set by the coach or is it being set by the GM or the president of basketball operations in the roster that they build? Right. I think that's kind of where a lot of these directions are coming from the GMs and, you know, the, the top basketball decision maker, let's call it that to avoid job titles. It's strictly down. You're seeing it. I see it here in new Orleans, you see it. Another one's kind of telling the coaches how they want this team to play. And the coaches are kind of going out and executing all of this, which makes these coaches middle management. That's a perfect way to describe it. So up next, deeper into the why. So why does the middle manager have to be a former player? Why are we in this trend right now? We're going to talk about that next. After I tell you about sweat block, which look, a lot of people have to deal with excessive perspiration. It can be an embarrassing thing. And it could be a thing that just strikes when you know, you don't even expect it. You know, maybe you get a little nervous when you start going to meet somebody new, a first date or parents, or you got to give a presentation. It, it's hard to stop that once the, the the faucet turns on. I've been there and you have to do what? If you're going to give a presentation in a, on, on a hot day, you got to walk in with a big jacket on or layers underneath? The, no, 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 no. Sweat block is going to be like a, it's a wipe. It's going to save you the embarrassment. It's going to be a little secret to confidence because what you do, you take a shower, you apply it, you go to bed in the morning, you wipe it off, you wash it off. And then you've got up to about seven days of confidence. It's been tested. You can Google it. You can see 10 years worth of reviews on Amazon. It's been a bestseller, 13,000 reviews, and they've got a guarantee. If it doesn't work, you get your money back. So what's it worth to you to get seven days of dryness for something that's been a little bit embarrassing? You can wear whatever you want to wear. Like I said, Google it, check it out. It's been on the Rachel Ray show. Uh, firefighters have tested it out and come out dry. It's it's a great little secret for you. You don't even have to wear all of this crazy stuff or anything. It's a simple, simple process with a little wipe. If you do it right, you're going to be good for like seven days. Give it a shot. It, it costs you nothing if it doesn't work. So use the promo code locked on at sweatblock.com for 20% off. Give it a try. If, if it works, then this thing's going to be a savior for you. If it doesn't, send it back. Uh, or you can go to Amazon or CVS to pick some up. 
And this episode of Locked On NBA is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Does my situation sound like yours, where I've got one device that lets me watch the NBA live, another that lets me stream all my favorite TV shows, plus I'm looking at other sports highlights on my phone, and I'm using my best friend's login to watch movies and other good stuff like that. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all of that entertainment that you love without all of the hassle, because that is a pain to use multiple remotes and different devices and remember all those different logins. And it's called DirecTV stream and it brings you live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no more needing to remember logins, and no more needing to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. Compatible device required and content varies by package. So I touched a little bit on this before the break, and as we get into the why, why are we here? Why is this the, the trend here? I think, Jake, there are two things here. First, the money, and the money is so great now. I mean, we're talking about guys making $30, $40 million, and there's a new TV deal around the corner a few years from now, a new collective bargaining agreement. These guys are making $20, $30, 40000000 million left and right. It's a lot of money to be handed out. and you you don't just say, hey, play, do what I say, or I'm going to sit you. No, these guys make $40 million. <laughs> How are you going to tell that player to, to do exactly? No, no, no. You got to be collaborative. So I think step one is, is that collaboration. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. As you said, the coaches are kind of middle management. You can't just tell a player, no, they'll force their way out. We've seen it. They can do it with multiple years left on their contract. As you kind of said before the break here, you know, you've got to kind of set your expectations, right? For, for a conversation like this, it's a player empowered league. It's really that simple. If you hate the idea that players can dictate coaches or dictate whatever, like, I'm sorry, maybe the NBA isn't for you right now if you kind of want that old school authoritarian figure from the head coach. And the head coach isn't even dictating that. I'm truly starting to believe that it comes from the top basketball decision maker in the front office, GM, president of basketball operations, whatever their title is. They hire the coach that plays the way they want, and then it kind of trickles down from there. And it's a head coach just trying to kind of manage all of that. They're more of a manager, I think, than a coach. As you said, middle management is a really good way to describe Describe them. And so, as you say, it becomes about getting the buy-in from these players, someone who can relate to them, not someone who's just going to yell at them in practice and withhold minutes or get them to play poorly, yelling and all that stuff. It just doesn't work now because, as you say, these guys make way too much money to deal with all of that. They'll just force their way out, and that's something that no team wants to deal with. Right. And then the other element of this is – We've seen I'm, – I'm, I'm looking at this from the Celtics' perspective. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum have been very strong advocates for more blackhead coaches in the NBA, more blackhead coaches getting their opportunities to come in and prove what they can do. The pipeline for minority hires is, is kind of dry. So this, this speaks to another, another issue. Benches aren't full of the – the black assistant coaches who haven't played sports, haven't played bad. The, the guys who came up just 
hey, I, I like basketball. I, I'm, I'm into the analytics or I'm into, you know, whatever. I've learned a lot. I'm going to come up and and they haven't played any more than Brad Stevens played, you know, division three and that's it. So the pipeline for that is, is, is dry. And I think that's a problem that we can talk about, but the, the way to get those head coaches onto staffs is to look at the former players. That's where the pipeline now comes from. It's the former NBA player who largely hasn't been a huge star, a guy like Ime Odoka in Boston who had to struggle and fight and have to have a strong knowledge of the game, really know the ins and outs because that's how he got his advantage. That's how he got his next contract by just being smarter and getting to that spot on the floor faster. And if he couldn't do it because he's actually faster than the person, he's going to be smarter to get to that spot. And that's what fuels the head coaching. So I think why we're looking at so many former uh, players is that's that's the pipeline to accomplish what a lot of current players are looking for. More opportunities, more representation to have people who look like them coaching them. Look, that's a relatability thing, right? You're going to listen to that person more. It's really that simple for the most part in the NBA. You know, we j- I just saw it here in New Orleans where you had an old white guy in Stan Van Gundy yelling at these young black millionaires and it didn't work and it went down as a disastrous failure. And look, he says all the right things on social media. He's about as liberal as you can get. We thought he would be able to relate to the players because of his views and stances on things, but he has not gone through their experiences, right? That's kind of where that disconnect was and what looked like on paper and from a distance should work did not end up happening. You know, you, you touched on two things there. One, there's the systemic issues, right? Of the pipeline for Black coaches just doesn't exist unless you're a former player because it's just a tough industry to break into unless you kind of have some financial backing behind you, right? Those low-paying coach jobs in the beginning are not something that everyone can take. A huge problem. And look, that's something we're not going to be able to solve today, but it's it's worth pointing that out of why that pipeline has kind of run dry and why it's a lot of rich guys and white guys who have kind of had some backing and a little bit more safety so they can kind of go through this process. Athletes are the ones that are able to do that because they don't need to worry about the money and things like that for the most part. But you touched on something that I think is great. And this is where you start to see kind of a divide between how to how teams are going about this. You talked about Udoka, who's kind of that uh, grinded out role player, right? Like guy was just trying to stay in the NBA as long as he could to kind of get that NBA money and just keep doing this as long as possible. So he had to outwork, out hustle other guys, be smarter than other guys because he didn't have the physical tools. Green's a bit of an example of that too, just a career role player, right? Those types of coaches, I think, are useful in the right situation. The Pelicans being a small market where we just saw it, don't get big name free agents. You need your role players to excel and to play above what their contracts are because you don't necessarily have the top end talent that a lot of teams do and you can't go and get that top end talent. So you need a coach that relates to these role players and elevates their style of play and helps you with your depth. Or you're the Brooklyn Nets where you've got three superstars, right? You need someone. Willie Green might not be able to get through to a Kevin Durant, to a James Harden or a Kyrie Irving, but you know who can? Steve Nash, who's been there. It's you know, it's about living in those guys' shoes and having gone through exactly what they've right. gone through. Steve Nash does that and fits Brooklyn perfectly. Willie Green should be able to do that here in New Orleans. You're seeing it. You know, you have Chauncey Billups, right, in Portland, regardless of that whole situation. But guard that did all of that. And look, Jason Kidd should not be a head coach at all. 
except they think he can get through to Luka Doncic, who plays the exact same position as him and is going through a whole lot of what he went through in his career. And in a sense, because of that, I don't hate that hire. It makes sense, even though Jason Kidd has failed in his past two jobs. And when I talked about the three former players in the conference finals, right, all of them are retreads. They had other head coaching jobs first where they, to some degree, failed and got hired again because they have that innate quality of having gone through what those guys have gone through and can relate to them. It's something you can't teach, right? It's just something you've either got to have gone through it or not. Right, right. And that, and that's the whole thing. It's, it's the, have, how can you tell me how to handle my business when you haven't been able to handle my business? You don't know what I'm thinking. You don't know what I'm, you don't know what the pressures are on me. And these former players have varying degrees of that experience. Now, a guy like Sam Cassell, who's looking to get into things or, you know, a guy like Chauncey Billups, they've made plenty of money, right? Jason Kidd's made obviously plenty of money. These guys, these guys have varying degrees. Now, Emi Odoka didn't make a ton of money, but he knows what it's like to be hungry and chasing that contract. And the the pressures of, do I play in a way that maybe could get me a little extra money, or do I play in a way if it's different that 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 gets the the team? You know, I, I give up some of my own personal glory taking this shot. You know, making this you know, cheating for a steal. That if you make it, it's going to be a dunk on the other end. But if you miss it, you're screwing your team and putting your defense in rotation. Those kinds of plays. He has that internal battle of how do I play? And there are guys on every team that are going to have that internal battle. So these former players have a lot of that relatability. And when you need every little edge as a decision maker for a team, that little thing that says, hey, man, I know you're in a contract year. I know what you're trying to do. I've been there. I've done that. But I've learned that if you do this, it's the winning that helps raise your stock versus the extra four points that you might score. And, you know, that type of stuff. It, it's not just the relatability to the players and trying to get them to perform well. It's the front office saying, if we want to keep these guys, if we want to keep them here, like, Hey, look, man, if you prove yourself to be a key to winning, this team will resign you. If you're, even if you're averaging 12 points versus you trying to get a bigger contract scoring 16, because you played on a team that you kind of torpedoed. So there, I mean, there are a lot of different elements to all of this. Yeah, I, look, and I think I think that's why they're hiring these guys. That's kind of like the why behind all of this. And I think the thought process of a lot of these front offices is everything we've kind of laid out. And that's why you're seeing this. Like, look, there's too many of them to ignore and say this isn't a trend at this point and something that teams want. Yep. Okay. We're going to come back with more on this, including like the next steps, because this is this is one reaction that the league is having, but there's always a reaction to the reaction. So where are we going from here? That's coming up next. First, I got to tell you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. And if you go to Built.com on a regular basis, you're going to find special flavors to go along with all of their great flavors like Apple Almond Crisp. Like this just showed up out of nowhere because they've got a special edition. And you know what? 160 calories, 18 grams of protein, four grams of sugar. How can you beat that? And if you are into Apple Almond, 
there you go. It comes and it goes. So you've got to make sure you're going to built.com on a regular basis to see what special editions they're dropping. In addition to their regulars like peanut butter brownie or orange or coconut or salted caramel, they've got flavor for everybody. And if you've got a nut allergy, plenty of these like cookies and cream or cherry barcia that, that you can still enjoy without worrying about your nut allergy. And even if you're on a keto diet, these are all uh, part of that. You can you can eat them with confidence. So check them out. Go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. Every single time you want to go get an assorted box, get it. Use the promo code LOCKED15. Come back, get your favorite flavor, stock up. It's the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team, which is kind of cool. So go to built.com and use that promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off. And this episode of Locked On NBA is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline.ag. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning towards football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this year. Get up to the minute odds, props, and they even have contests out there, including the online betting's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survival contest both open now over at bet online so head to the website using your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100 welcome bonus when you use promo code locked on you put in a hundred dollars they're going to give you another hundred dollars they've got the nba futures out there too including the win totals for all teams so if you think your team is in store for a good year go get in on that over at betonline.ag and they and take advantage of their opening day super promo you make a bet on the thursday september 9th season opener between the super Bowl champion Buccaneers and Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager is refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. It's a risk-free bet. And betonline.ag is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports, whether it's football, basketball, boxing, or right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season over at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So we, we're in this era of the former player. They're, this is the, the big kind of push to get former players into the mix. Some will succeed, some will fail. And I can already hear people as they listen to us talk say, okay, well, how is this fair to this person or that person? And, and, and this could be, like you said earlier, this could be a much, much longer conversation and, and probably should be. Uh, because you not only have, like you said, the systemic issues of these, these coaching jobs that don't pay anything. And that's how you get your foot in the door. And, you know, only certain people can afford to get, not get paid anything. Um, and, but, but there's, there are other people here now in, in this pipeline. And, and I think what we're seeing, first of all, is, uh, this is the beginning of evening things out. But now what's next? Because some of these guys are going to fail. There's no doubt about it. Cause no, no, there's no perfect uh, head coaching search here. There's, there's always going to be somebody who's like, Oh, well, this guy didn't work. And that guy didn't work. But as long as some of the former players work, we're going to see former players continue to get into, into this pipeline. And, and, and we'll see if they continue to fit a certain style, but 
as you mentioned, what happens, what happens to the people who are already here and have earned a spot, earned a chance to, to get a job like you brought up Becky Hammond before when we were talking, which I think is an interesting case. And there are a lot of women here who are the next, this is the next thing. This is the next kind of barrier to break. When is a woman going to be trusted And there? Look, Becky played a lot of these women. We had Carol Lawson in Boston as an assistant coach. She's now the head coach, head coach of the Duke uh, women's uh, basketball team. She, she could be a candidate in a year or two or however many to, to be a, an NBA head coach. Does the WNBA international experience as a former player relate to these players on a, on a basketball level? Can, can women take advantage of this and kind of slide in and be in and kind of get caught up in this wave? You know, that's, that's, that's kind of my biggest question with this. And that's why when we were planning the show out, I kind of mentioned Becky Hammond to you as kind of the number one example of maybe someone who's actually hurt by this initially, right? You know, she's been, she, by all accounts, she's someone who's deserving of a head coaching job. She's a former player. She's done incredibly well with the San Antonio Spurs players, respect her, right? Like someone you look at and you're like, she should get a job. She hasn't gotten a job. You know, they kind of used her as a bit of a sham candidate up in Portland before they ultimately gave the job to former player without coaching experience, Chauncey Billups, you know, and that's where some of this is going to be the real test, right? Does Damian Lillard stay in Portland because he likes Chauncey Billups and there's some sort of relatability there. And if he stays there longer than we're thinking, people are going to point to that as a success, right? And we maybe see more of this happening, which is going to freeze a lot of other people out, right? You know, that's going to freeze out people like, Becky Hammond and and other names of people that look like they should be a coach and should be a head coach, but just don't because they're not a former player. And this is kind of the, the movement and, the, you know, to a degree of fad, but maybe not in, in the trend in the NBA. So I don't know. There's some knock on effects like that that I think are rather interesting. Does it mean maybe you start to also see some, you know, good assistant coaches kind of get out of this line of work? It's a it's a brutal job, right? Like it's oh, brutal yeah. being an NBA coach, especially an assistant where pay's not good. You're on the road a lot of the time. You're at the facility 20 hours a day grinding film and things like that. Are people going to look at this and be like, well, they're only giving jobs to head, you know, former players, so I'm out. It could be could be a thing, right? Like there's a lot of other effects of this, but also I think it could trickle down to the college level. You've got Penny Hardaway at Memphis, who's done, by all accounts, a pretty bang-up job there over his first three mm-hmm. years. I just pulled up his record. He's 63 and 32. It's pretty good overall when you start to look at it. So is this something that's going to trickle down to other levels too? Does it get to an AAU level to a certain degree as well, right? That's where I start to kind of look at this really happening. And maybe that's a way you do start to build up that pipeline we were talking about of AAU coaches that working their way up. Maybe they're former AAU guys. They do well there. And you start to kind of see they have that relatability with players and it starts to trickle its way on up. I don't know though. It, there's a lot of unknowns, I think, right now with it, but a lot of people that it could impact. So I think this is this is very much like the pendulum swinging, right? Like we, I think we've we've gone through a a very socially conscious period in the NBA, and the social consciousness of players is now part of, as you said before, the relatability. And the players' desire to have more coaches of color in the league has led to that being a, a higher priority, higher on the list of things that, that 
teams want because they do want to appeal to the players and they want to find qualified candidates. And this is, this is part of it. So I, I wonder if this brings in a new crop of reaches. So Chauncey could certainly be a reach. He's just like Jason Kidd was a reach. And, and I still question his head coaching ability. Um, totally. These guys who come in that are just out of nowhere, just you finish playing, you come on in, you have either no or little head uh, assistant coaching experience. I think there were a few of those reaches recently that may, there might be one or two, that you just pull back on and say, this is this just isn't working. And the the path towards being a former player that that rises to a head coach is still through being an assistant coach. And there's within that, there are still gonna be opportunities. Maybe it takes a little bit longer now because everybody changed their focus, but I think there's still gonna be opportunities for the women in the league who are, are going to want to move forward. And, and I do think that their basketball experience helps them. Now, maybe it doesn't oh, totally to the, right. The, the, you know, the going for a $12 million contract, but point guarding is point guarding, man. You, you got to go out there. You got to be able to read. If you can read a pick and roll, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you sit or stand to pee, whether you can read that pick and roll and hit the right person off of that. You can process, if you can process that information and you can find that person, then you're good at this job and you can learn little tricks that you can pass along. And coaching is simply that teaching, passing along the little tricks, especially at the NBA level. It's about adjusting on the fly, recognizing things about 200% faster than most people can recognize things on the floor and being able to adjust and being able to talk to your person being, so there's nothing that says Becky Hammond can't talk to her point guard and her point guard say, Hey, they're, they're hedging and they're switching when this guy is coming over to set the pick. Why don't we do this? All she's got to be, all she's got to do is say, okay, yeah, I like that. Let's go. Or no, I don't like that. Let's try this instead. Like that's, that's part of the, the, the coaching. So I, I and that, in that, in that former player experience it kind of still applies, right? It's, as you said, it's, Hey, I'm a Hall of Famer that when, when I did stuff, you know, it's like when I was reading a pick and roll, this is what I would do, or this is how I set up moves and things like that. And she'll be able to convey that. Like, I still think she's going to get a chance. I think this might have slowed things down a little bit for her, but that's about it. You're still going to see plenty of people rise up and it's not only going to be former players, but I definitely think you'll see more on benches. I think you'll start to see more guys making that jump immediately after playing. I also wonder if you'll start to see role players that are kind of borderline if they should be on a team, but maybe a team thinks it could that guy could be a future coach. Do they start grooming them a little bit early on while they're still on the team and mm-hmm. keeps them in the league a little bit longer for that too, because they might find that valuable. Yeah, for sure. Look, the bottom line here is there are 30 teams and even if they expand to 32, it's still a finite group of people who can get into these coaching ranks. There's only so, so many jobs and there's only so much turnover even in a, a year like this where there seem to be a ton of jobs or you know a third of the league turned over, uh, that's not typical. And so you got to wait your turn. And one of the issues has, has been not enough people. There's not enough representation in here. So as you add more women 
as you add more people of color, as you add former players, as you add more of these candidates, the opportunities for everybody just becomes a little bit less. The candidate pool grows. And that's going to slow down some progress for some people. There's no doubt about that. And some people are going to come away from this thinking, well, this isn't fair for me. And it probably won't be in individual cases. There's nothing to say that a Jay Laranega from the Boston Celtics who has put in his dues and has been a great assistant coach and has shown the ability to be a head coach, if he doesn't get a head coaching opportunity, is that fair to him in particular? No, because you can look at him and say, man, he's he's worked hard. The players respect this guy. I've talked to him personally. I, I see how players interact with him. They respect him. He'd be a good head coach, I think, or he'd have a chance to be. But the more people you put into the pool, the less opportunity there is for each individual person. And so be it. The net effect, Jake, better candidates across the board. And we get away from the stigma of black, white, women, whatever it is, the more candidates that get in there that prove themselves, the better candidates we have, better coaching across the league. Then we have 30 30 teams that are happy with their head coach, which would be amazing. Look, I, I agree with you on all of that. It's it's never going to be perfectly fair. That's just not how it goes, right? It, like part of it's, it's life and you just got to kind of deal with it. But as you say, I think the end result of this is actually only a good thing for the NBA and something that's going to help kind of raise its profile and, and do work in certain areas that they want to do. So I like this trend. And like I said in kind of the beginning, right? If a team doesn't hire a player right now, I'm a little bit skeptical of it. That's kind of how <laughs> all in on this theory, at least for now that I am, it'll probably change in like five, 10 years, but we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how things go, and I hope I hope there are a lot of great opportunities. And look, the, the good thing about basketball around the world is that there are great opportunities outside of the league, in Europe, out uh, you know internationally. So hopefully there are a lot of people who get their opportunities and improve themselves. Um, but we'll see how it goes. All right, so that's the Wednesday Locked on NBA show. As we continue to roll through the offseason, no slowing down, five days a week, we're continuing to do that on Wednesdays. I'm one of your regular Wednesday co-hosts, John Corrales. I host the Lockdown Celtics podcast. Find me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Lockdown Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Nola Jake. All right. We're back with more Thursday. Subscribe. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're free everywhere across the board on YouTube. So subscribe, share the podcast, tell the world to be listening to the Lockdown NBA podcast. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network.